So one thing we do <laughs> better than anyone else is we help our customers feel as though they are co-authors of our business story and not just readers. And they feel that way because they are. This is Get Shit Done, a podcast that dives into how women entrepreneurs are gaining traction and growing companies that scale generational impact. Each episode is real talk from women founders who have successfully scaled companies. You'll learn what they did to grow, how they did it, and the tools they used to get it done so you can too. To get access to more episodes of Get Shit Done, along with free traction tools, head on over to shegetshitdone.com. Welcome back to the Get Shit Done podcast, queens and comrades. I'm your host, Alex Batdorf, aka Chief Get Shit Done Officer. Did you know that women own nearly half of businesses, but we only generate 4% of total revenues? That's why our motto is fuck 4%, baby. Our goal here every single week is to teach you the traction strategies and tactics with tools and templates you need to get shit done and grow on your own terms so we can scale generational impact. Today, we'll be breaking down how Emily Gray, founder of Flourish Market based in Raleigh, North Carolina, was able to scale a profitable company to seven figures in three years driven by 50% marketing. Flourish Market is a company that is winning people over through the idea of using their purchasing power for good. You'll learn how they went from selling 10 to 12 fashion brands when they got started to now over 250 that are winning people over and showing the power of purchasing for good. Y'all, I'm really excited about this episode because so many of you from our tribe have written to tell us where you need support. And one of the top requests is in marketing. And a lot of what Emily talks about is how we even knew to slot this episode for the timing that we did based on your feedback. Ooh, don't you love how things just come together like that? Emily will teach you how marketing is driving over 50% of their revenue. And nah, I ain't talking about ads, y'all. They don't spend not a damn dollar on ads. So you're going to get a masterclass on organic marketing for powerful growth. So here's what you're going to learn from Emily today, how her moat has been making her customers the co-authors in building her business. Ooh, yes, put that saying on a shirt. And more importantly, how you can too. You'll also learn how she listens to her customers. And by now, y'all are probably like, okay, we get it. We need to listen to our customers. But do you, when's the last time you really talk to them? I mean, really? And Emily gives you a masterclass in customer listening that includes how she was able to get 90% of their 13,000 followers on Instagram to vote on polls and achieve 93% open rate with an email list of over 20,000 and get thousands of responses to their surveys. So when I say, do you really, are you on that level yet? And that ain't no shade. It's just that we all have areas of improvement. If there's something I've learned is that 9.9 out of 10 times, founders really ain't listening to their customers the way they need to that allows you to be co-authors with them in your business. You'll also learn how putting your face out there is one of the most powerful things you can do as an early stage company and meaningful ways you can be doing it as a founder. And the final thing you'll learn from Emily is how her and her team learn how to manage their time because y'all know it's the most valuable asset and where it needs to be spent by assigning an hourly rate to what they're doing. Ooh, that exercise will absolutely slap you in the face, but in a good way. (laughs) But before we get started, we need your support from our tribe. To help our team show up and support you on your scaling journey week after week, because ain't no stopping us, we here for you, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Better yet, share it with a friend and a few friends, right? This helps you know when episodes drop every week and tells the algorithms to find more queens and comrades like you that we can support too. 
Also, if you want our weekly Get Shit Done traction briefings that break down every single episode with key takeaways, free resources, templates, all of that jazz, head on over to shegetshitdone.com slash join so we can sign up in your inbox every week and help you get it done. And without further ado, Queen Emily Gray. Emily, welcome to Get Shit Done. So excited to be here um, after being up since 2 a.m. on a delayed flight, not realizing my microphone was on mute, asking you if you were on mute. Mercury Mercury retrograde. And also, like, I feel like there's Mercury retrograde every day for an entrepreneur. So this was classic. Like, shit never goes to plan. So you're going to have to roll with it, deal with the fires. And I'm just sitting here as you're like, figuring it out. I'm just like, oh, this is like perfect way to start the pod. You were the best. And that is what you kept saying. So yes, shout out to any of you who've ever had a cluster of a morning or start or something. We feel right. (laughs) Yes, we feel you. And I'm the most excited because you have been able to scale your company to seven figures, three years, and over 50% of it was because of the marketing channel that you dove into. But we're going to get to that. Um, And later we're going to get to an AMA. So for those of you that are tuning in, if you have questions, put it in the chat. Tell us hello. We're going to be poking in and looking around. But for now, we're going to be diving into the conversation. I'm so excited for you to be here. So as always, we like to start with, you know, you take us back. Give us some context. I think that's the most important thing when it comes to entrepreneurship because it's so easy to look at other people and compare ourselves, but we don't know where they started. So take us back to what you were doing before you even started Flourish Market. What was Emily all about? Yes. So Emily was all about escaping the small town America. So I grew up in Eastern North Carolina. I didn't, it was a small town. So I didn't have a ton of um, examples around me of like entrepreneurs. My grandpa was an entrepreneur. I'll get back to that in a minute. Went to college in North Carolina at a liberal arts school where everyone was from all over, especially the North. And so that's where I really got exposure to what was possible. Um, And uh, not just blue collar jobs, but white collar jobs, but specifically entrepreneurship. And I heard so many people's parents or brothers and sisters were launching their own thing. And I just felt like uh, really pulled to that. But like many people, like just climbing the rungs of the ladder, right, that have been spelled out for us, right, is I just went into a corporate job. That's what you do after college, right, if you like perform well in college. So I fell into a job working for a Swiss investment bank. I actually loved it. I spent eight years in that job. Um, That job took me to live in London and to live and work all over Europe and Asia, New York City. And when I left that job, my title was Vice President of Communications and Change Management. And what that fancy title meant was for those eight years at that bank, I had spent my time basically teaching middle and senior managers how to lead their employees through change. Okay. And I don't know if any of you listening have ever worked for corporate or maybe you're still in a part-time or full-time corporate job, but normally those changes we were communicating and leading people through weren't necessarily very positive. Okay. So I started this job in a year in 2008 hit. So the, uh, the economy crashed. I was living in London at the time. And so you had these middle and senior managers who were really good at like, um, their jobs and, and, um, kind of, uh, their own little spheres, but there came a point in their leadership where they needed to learn how to say hard things out loud and navigate people through really crappy things. Because up until that point, working for an investment bank, that was like the job, right? The job. Um, So it was super, super fun. I loved my job. I love my team. I love my boss. I loved the work I got to do. I got phenomenal training, phenomenal training. I got trained for a whole week in a small group of five of us by two um, folks who had led peace treaty negotiations in the Middle East. It was a really intense training about learning how to um, listen and listen well and then get people on board like an idea and kind of lead them together towards a shared goal, especially when it's hard. And I was in like the women's advancement program But what I was finding was I got a lot of vacation time, which is always exciting. Europe does it right. I got like six to eight weeks vacation. And during a lot of my vacation time, I was spending it um, abroad, back in America, 
coming alongside nonprofits and social enterprises, like behind the scenes and helping with them with their communications and change management efforts. So primarily that was helping nonprofits win people over to their fundraising efforts and then helping uh, social enterprises win people over to buy their really awesome goods. And I don't know if some of you listening could resonate with this, but like there became this tension of like, I love this. I love the volunteer work I'm doing. How will I ever be able to be paid for this though, right? Um, and I, I was sitting at this like kind of fork in the road of, ooh, I want to break off here, but I just don't know how to maintain my level of living or even like a tenth of that, right? So um, I started saving. So I spent a couple of years saving. I had a conversation with my boss and management, and I dropped back to 20 hours a week. I'd moved back to America. I'd moved back to North Carolina at the time and just started like getting my feet into um, more volunteer work to try to see like what I really enjoyed, how I could potentially make money. But it, the answer still wasn't clear to me until one night. I know for some people, it's not like an apple falling from a tree, but for me, it was. I was obsessed with the tiny house shows at the time. And one night I was searching, um, couldn't sleep. I was up late on Pinterest. You know, I was having a hard time sleeping in that season of life because I was like, oh, there's something more. I just don't know. Like I'm at point A. I know I want to walk across the bridge, but I don't know what point B is. I don't know where the bridge is going. And I can't like run to get there because I don't even like have that specific vision. But I found my point B. I was searching on Pinterest for tiny houses because I was very obsessed with the shows. And I saw this um, linked article from a few years back that was like, LA's first fashion truck hits the streets. And I was like, what is this? I'd always been interested in fashion and I clicked on it. And it was a little mini boutique on wheels. And literally in my bed that night, <laughs> this light bulb moment where I thought, Okay, basically, I'm an illegal importer at this point because anytime I travel, I have like 10 to 20 friends asking me, hey, can you bring me back a necklace or a dress or a leather bag like you got the last time you traveled to that place? And it hit me like, what if I could, and I had started a fashion blog. That was like one of the things I was trying at the time, right, to get my feet wet, see what was interesting. I had a good amount of traction on that. It was an ethical fashion blog with all these really cool brands. And I'm like, wait, I have these contacts. What if I quit my job? What if I bought one of these trucks, transformed it into a little mini boutique on wheels and launched that? And that was July of 2015. That was my 30th birthday. A couple of nights later, I have chills every time I tell it, I sat around with all my best friends looking at me around the dinner table and I stood up and made an announcement because for me, when I say something out loud, my pride is too high not to follow through. So it's one of the things, it's one of the tricks I use <laughs> is telling people. Yep, I do the me. same thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, same I'm thing. quitting my job. I am uh, going to buy, I found this old uniform delivery truck on Craigslist. I'm going to go to Western North Carolina and buy it for $8,000. And I need your help to transform this thing into a little mini boutique on wheels. They all thought I was crazy, but they also offered their help. So in October 2015, I launched the Flourish Market. So we're about next week, we celebrate six years in business, which is insane. For the, for the first Amazing. year of our business, I started in a very risk averse way um, by buying that $8,000 fashion truck and transforming it, raising $5,000 on Kickstarter for um, the initial goods. When I launched in October of 2015, I carried only 10 to 12 brands, but all of the products. Um, were very meaningful, right? They, we, we had clothing uh -huh. made by sex, traffic, sex trafficking survivors in Nepal. We had jewelry made by women who had um, overcome, like come out of addiction programs. We had um, candles that funded childhood feeding programs um, that were made in South Carolina. And so while we now carry, I think now over 250 brands, we have a 3,500 square foot store. We've worked our way there. I've bootstrapped this whole time. Um, never taken out any loans, never paid for advertising. And that's what I'm really Ooh. excited to chat about. <laughs> I love it. So we're going to dig into all this because um, it, it's so interesting because so often we will hear these stories and you're like, this person quit and then now they're here. And it's like, no, we're going to get them in, in the nitty gritty. What happened? So let's start first with what is Flourish Market and what problem is it solving? Hmm. So that's such a good question. So we call ourselves a women's and gifts boutique where every product has a bigger purpose. 
The problem we're really solving has nothing to do with the products we sell. It took me a couple of years to figure that out. While when I launched my my business, I, the problem I was solving, right, was this, I had this white saviorism, like complex. And I'm like, I'm going to go like help all these people. Ooh, look at I'm you like, calling yourself out. Oh yes, God, awareness. Yes, <laughs> yes awareness. <laughs> and, and I led with that in my marketing, you know, I'm like, you're, you know, you're so powerful and look at the, and, and it's, I didn't like have this. I will give myself a little more credit than that. I did come at it from a dignified perspective many times, but many times I did not. All right. And so it took me realizing that the women in my own community, Lord knows, we all like needed to be seen and championed. And um, we were all like overcoming certain things, right? Maybe we haven't taken the steps forward on that yet, but um, there's so much to learn from actually the women who've been through really hard shit that were behind our products, right? Like they were phenomenal. And I started realizing and going back to the times I had like sat with them, right? And they would share their stories, which they didn't like even need to share with me, but um, it's an honor to hear them. And so obviously like have learned a lot around like marketing, but now what I would say, what I would say the problem we're helping to solve as a business is helping women in our community step into their bigger purpose. So shopping, you know, in a meaningful way and ethically is just like the first step we, we feel like we can help women on and we feel like it snowballs, but we do all sorts of things. Like we did a Galentine's event. We sold out a hundred tickets. I brought in my personal therapist back in February <laughs> into a Zoom room and we talked about hard things out loud. So we do all sorts of things with that really anchor of helping women. In my, like we need more women. I know you agree with this, Alex. We need more women stepping forward into their power. Um, the earth shakes and people don't want that. A lot of people don't want that, but that's really where we feel like we can come alongside folks. And, and a lot of times the way that. we share stories now, the women behind our products, people start to get it. They're like, oh, okay especially here in the South. It's a good um, good kind of repositioning. What do you feel attracts? Because there's obviously a, com a social component to this, but what do you think you all do better than anyone else that attracts that sense of community? Hmm. Because I, I think some of the best like brands and companies out there go beyond just yeah. what they sell. Like I think of Zappos, Tony Shea, RIP. He even mentioned, you know, I don't give a fuck about shoes. Yeah. Tony Shea didn't care about shoes. He was like, I care about customer service. And that, I mean, Zappos is the top customer service yeah. company in the world. Cause he was like, you know what you can do with that? You go into traditionally bad customer service field and you take this and templatize it. Yes. And that's exactly what Amazon did. Started with books, templatize. So you guys extend beyond the product, but what do you feel you do better than anybody else in terms of attracting the community around the product? Because a lot of companies sell things, right? Mm -hmm. And they can probably find similar things, you know, that you get from you, but that's not what's keeping them or drawing them initially. So what do you think is, is the, the main component for you all? Yeah. The thing we do better than anyone else works for us because I don't want to have 20 million stores. I just want to have the one store in downtown Raleigh and be very present in my community. We're not even big on online orders. We really just want to focus in on getting people in our doors. So one thing we do better than anyone else is we help our customers feel as though they are co-authors of our business story and not just readers. Um, and they feel that way because they are. And they've always helped determine our next business steps. And really the precipice to that is that we listen and listen well, like a lot. We do a lot of listening. In fact, you know, I just mentioned earlier that I got back home at like 2 a.m. last night. We were in Atlanta for apparel market the past two days. We put up probably over 100 Insta stories in the past two days. We get like over 90% of our followers vote on things, which is insane because we have almost 13,000 followers. But we're asking them input on actual products. Um, but we listen in other ways as far as every six months, we do a two-question survey. We send out to our um, our folks in January. It's all the two questions revolve around not products, but like their well-being um, and, um, what they, for example, we've asked before, what do you feel like was missing from your life in 2019? And what do you want more of mm. in your life in 2020? Right. 
Um, July, our two questions are always focused on what are they going to buy for the holidays and, um, you know, how can we upgrade our website or in-store experience? But we ask them deep questions. We get over 500 responses every time. Um, they only have to put like one word to get the 15% off shopping pass we give them in exchange for the survey, but people just, the majority of our folks just dump in long paragraphs. Interesting. So <clears throat> let's take a step back. Cause I think there are themes on this show. If you're an OG get shit done queen, you have now heard it over and over. The top founders, everyone on this podcast that's in the main episodes has scaled beyond a million. And the num like the few themes that keep coming up are focus and listening over and over and over yes. is stop creating shit. No one asks you to create because you didn't listen to your customers. Mm -hmm. They're literally there, but I think surveys are so important and listening to your 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 community, listening to your customers. So let's let's walk through th these surveys because you mentioned a little bit already that you're sending them out. You're sending two questions. Sometimes they're not even about the product; they're about how they want to feel. So, how often are you all sending these out? And what's the intention? Like when you all are deciding, because surveys are not simple. Like yeah. a good survey to get really good data is you have to be intentional about how you ask questions because people do surveys wrong all the time because they're not really getting to the consumers lie. Like they, they will say what they think, but not really what they do. Gosh, so you have so to be true. very nifty around the questions you pose to them. So how often are you sending it out? You know, how big is the list, but also how are you all deciding what questions to craft? What's the intention behind it? Mm-hmm. So I'll talk about our surveys and then I'll talk about like our round tables. So our surveys that we send out, we do every January and every July. So for us, these are our two slowest months in business. So we not only have the bandwidth to really sit down and really read over 500 responses, which is really over a thousand, right? So we're asking two questions, they're long form, but it's also our slow, slowest months in business. So our, we're cheap. We never run sales really. So when people get a 50% off shopping pass, they're like, woo, I'm going to come in and use it. So it's really a win-win. So the way I come up with the question is really from my gut. I I have such, I'm such like a feeler of people. I'm in my store, not a but when I am, I'm sitting and talking with customers and listening. Um, I'm also like very um, in, in, entrenched with our customer out in the community, even during COVID, being able to do that safely. And so I'm hearing from them. And so it's whatever they're sharing, I want to go more. Like in January, I was telling you their well-being questions. It's like I want to give them a chance to tell their friend Emily and the team at Flourish um, maybe what no one's really asked them to expand upon. Okay. So, and one of the most powerful questions was the one I just mentioned, like what was missing from your life in 2019 and what do you want more of in 2020? And so we get to hear oh, if I had the bandwidth or if I was really living life purposefully, like here's what I want. And so then we're able to align that with the type of messaging we share on social media, the articles we share. Every Friday morning, I email 20,000 people on our email list. We have a 93% open rate. Okay. We're, that's how, how I know what they need, the, the truths they need spoken over them. Um, for our July, for our July questions, which are more focused around what products are you buying and how can we improve your in-store online experience? What I found with surveys is when I'm getting like, I'm hitting like A, B or C, like it's what you said, Alex. I'm like, they want me to respond this way. I'm like, why did I even press that? That's like not true. So we do open form, which means we sit for like a week with all of these and read them word for word. And so we sit together as a team. We come in having read them on our own. We sit together and we talk about common themes. Okay. So it's very like organic, which means we might miss a thing or two. That's actually really important. But so far it's felt like, um, it's felt like we've, we've kind of hit the jackpot. And then the most important thing we do, yeah. I think so many companies miss with surveys is if people take the time to fill out a survey, what happens? Like, did you take right. my advice? So two weeks after the survey goes out every single time, I send out an email saying, here are the top three, the top things we heard. It's normally five to 10 things. And here are the three things mm. we're going to do over the next few months to respond to that. Okay. And so people literally, they come in our store and they're like, sometimes I'll write an email to like during COVID, I was giving them like a state of the flourish market. 
And I always start, I'm like, you might feel like this is um, an email a CEO would send out to his company, but that's truly how we feel. We call our customers the Flourish family. And so people really feel, again, like they're co-authors of our story because we are always telling them, we heard this and here's what we're doing. Even at market, we, we dropped in like on Insta stories a couple of days ago, like, what are you most searching for in little boxes? Well, sweaters and jackets. And so we're, we get up the next morning, we're like, okay, what we heard, the biggest winners were sweaters and jackets. We're going after it today. So get ready to vote. Um, oh, I love this. We're able to pair this with our roundtables because sometimes on any survey, you're kind of left wondering or something can catch you by surprise. So every quarter... Mm -hmm. We used to do these in person. Right now they're online. We host quarterly roundtables where we bring in 10 to 15 customers who represent like a wide swath of our customer base, but are like all dream customers. Because if you have to be careful who you listen to, right? The loudest customer doesn't necessarily mean they're like- It's not always representative of everyone. Exactly. They're you, A lot of times your, your pickiest customers are not the, the, the majority. You speak the truth, Alex. Yes, yes, yes. So we <laughs> hold like two to three hours. When we were doing this in person, we brought in food. We had it catered. It was really nice. Now we like send folks gifts um, since we're just digital. But we learn a lot that way. And we share like results of people. We kind of ask additional questions. But it, mm. it's that is what has grown our business um, is people oh. feeling heard and feeling like they are definitely a part of our success. Oh. They're definitely a part of our yeah. struggle like during the pandemic. And they're a part of writing the next chapter because they are. They feel like that because they are. I love this so much. It's because it opens up transparency and then you start transcending beyond just being a like, this is a brand I shop from. I love this co-creation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of consumers want that. They want to feel like they're a part, especially when you're like not a huge player. You're not uh, forever 21 or whatever, not saying that you all are comparable to that, but you know, I love the fact that you all take the time to not only go through it because people fill out surveys all the time. You give them a discount, but it's also saying it's with intention. Here's what we're doing with the next, yes. which I think is next level. It's like, wow, you actually listen to me. And I'm not surprised that it causes this ripple effect where now when you do send out surveys, they are more inclined to actually participate because they're like, I know what's happening with the information. Mm -hmm. They're actually listening to me. And now I'm amongst all these other people. And so it, it's, I, I love this. I love this. So you're doing these roundtables as well. How are you usually like deciding who's going to be at these roundtables with your customer? And, and you have a, a physical location so you all can do that. But like, I can even see doing virtual, you know, round table. So how do you all decide which customers, if it's 15, are going to be present? I sit with my team and we make sure we're kind of ticking a lot of boxes as far as who shops with us. So I'm actually the person on the team who's in the store the least amount because I'm driving strategy. You've got a couple other businesses. And that so makes sense. Right. Yep. And so we sit as a team and everyone kind of talks about this person and this person and this person and why and kind of the fit. Um, and we try to cover diversity from all perspectives. It's really, really important for us, not only in how we hire, but in who we're getting in front of us to lend their voice to what's next. Um, so we definitely decide mm. that as a team, but we've also done virtual roundtables with our afar besties. That's what we call them. So if you're listening, you've got a brand, you're like, I don't, I don't have a brick and mortar, which I know is probably most of you. Most of you operate an online business. Well, we our afar besties are some of our best customers. Um, and so we just think about like a lot of times we don't even know what they look like because they have private accounts on Instagram and they like you know, don't want us following them, but they're messaging us always. And so it's like, okay, well, this person's a little more critical when we go to market or when we do things. This person's like always like bubbly and fun. You know, this person's placed over a hundred orders with us over the past three years for gifts for friends. So we try to bring in them as well, because I think it's very important for all of your customers, not all, 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 but like the majorities that are coming, for example, are online customers who can never come to an in-person roundtable that they feel a big part to um, and they, they don't feel forgotten. I love that. And it's it's interesting that you all take the time that week to actually dissect and be intentional because I see a lot of companies, they'll just collect and then do a quick skim. Um, we actually recently did that in spring with our founders. Like, all these transcribed like meetings we did, we looked at everything and looked at, okay, 
what are we good at? What do we suck at? What are the things that they're really asking for now? And then saying, forget everything that we're not great at. Let's stop trying to do that. And let's keep digging into how we can best serve them where they need it now. So I love that. So when you're doing surveys, not to just do a survey, it's activating that because it is going to be so transformative for your business because you're co-creating with them and not creating things no one asks you for. Mm -hmm. So walk us through Instagram because this is something that we hear a lot from founders around how do I engage? And there's a lot of obsession with vanity metrics. I've seen people with thousand followers who have multi-million dollar companies. Mm-hmm. It does not like, and a lot of people pay for bots now. So let's just get that off the table. Who cares how many people are following you if they're not real followers? Um, but in your case, you have all these people, 90% engaging of what you said, uh, tens of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So when you're sending out surveys and going into stories, walk us through, what are you all deciding? How are you deciding how to engage? So I personally drive the strategy for my business. So we're doing well over a million dollars and still me, even on a team of 16, I am fully driving our email and Instagram strategy. So I outsource a little bit, outsource, that's a funny word. I delegate this to a couple of folks who represent diversity on my team who will also do try-ons and who will also do Instagram lives with me, but I run the strategy. And I think it's something that, you know, it's good for some people to delegate or outsource, but I see so many founders doing that right away. And actually, like, I guess it just depends on what your goals are. If your goals are to really, um, like, drive a movement, right, and to create community and also to get sales and continued sales from people who feel a part of your story, you got to put your face out there. Um, You absolutely have to put That's a word. You got to put your face out there. You got to put behind the scenes out there. You got to... You don't have to be transparent, but one of the best things I ever did during the pandemic was keep on Instagram. I was showing, um, I was keeping up in stories with our customer base and letting them know the percentage behind the following year we were and kind of where we were tracking. And that was like hugely transparent. You know, they would see me sitting at the computer um, doing spreadsheets and like really letting them in behind the scenes. And I think so many people are like, oh, we got to show we have our crap together and we don't want to let people know we're struggling during a global pandemic or we don't, you know, we want to like kind of keep it together. And I think there's a good measured response, but a good measured response always includes some level of transparency and always includes a founder's face and voice. Always. Um, at least at least from my perspective. I do know there's like different types of businesses. But I think for most of the people listening, I would say I'm calling you forward to show your face, show behind the scenes and really let people know. Mm. That is a word because I, there's, I, I see that founders go to extremes and you don't know what you don't know. And I, I say this all the time. Google is your frenemy because you will get so much, there's great content. Um, but you don't know where people are starting. You don't know by whose perspective. So then they're taking on, so this person did this, this company did that. But what's the objective? I think the superpower for early stage companies are the founders. Yes. Like the fact that you can call, pick up the phone, call a customer say, hey, I'm the CEO. We screwed up massively. I'll give an example. My former company, we did some new code on our website, which changed the decimal points on how much we charge people for a pair of jeans. So a $250 pair of jeans became a $25,000 pair of jeans when they got processed, not on the site, but when it was processed, we ended up capturing it. It went through on three customers orders though. We immediately called them in the middle of the night saying, oh my goodness, we are so sorry. We screwed up here. We're taking care of it. And because we were that proactive and we listened and we put our faces out there said, I'm the CEO, I'm taking care of it. One of the guys was like, oh my God, no wonder why my wife couldn't get groceries today. <laughs> like, but it was the fact that we put ourselves out there. It's not funny that we got them out there, but the, he made light of it because they could have been so much more pissed. Absolutely. And so I love that you're using your face and then you're getting out there and talking. It is the best form of R&D. I would say for this company, I've always been the face in some way of my companies, but not like this. Mm. I We literally get founders saying, I am here because you represent 
not just me, but even the people we bring into our sphere, like you, you represent what I've been trying to do, what I want to be a part of, so on and so forth. So I love, love, love that you mentioned that. So I want to get into the fact that you have been able to scale well beyond a million and 50% of it has come from marketing. Mm-hmm. We are currently going through app, you know, our interviews and selection process for our upcoming cohort of the accelerator. And we always ask founders, what are your greatest challenges right now? And this helps us understand, are we the best place to serve? Mm-hmm. One of the top places we keep top areas we keep hearing is marketing. That is across the board because each business is different. But a lot of times founders are like, what are the tactics? What's the messaging? Which I think messaging comes from listening to your customers instead of trying to come up with fancy jargon. Um, but you've been able to do it from one specific tactic That's right. as the major, the main thing. Mm-hmm. So can you first walk us through, because this thing has now created a 64% retention rate too. Yes. And you haven't spent money on ads, like you said. Mm-hmm. So what is that thing And how did you even know to do it? Mm, I love this question. Alex, I love that you talked about earlier, focus. You're like, founders come on here and talk about um, like focus and like listening to your customers. So we talked about listening. Now I'm going to talk about focus because I totally resonate with that. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but there are like a million people yelling at you on the internet that you need to be doing SEO strategy, Pinterest strategy. I mean, the, we can name like 30 things. It used to be A, B, C, and D you had to do as an entrepreneur. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, you got to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. It's crazy, right? And crazy. you guys have all heard the analogy. If you're throwing these little pebbles into the water, you don't get a ripple. And so I'm a really big, every January, we sit down and decide what is our boulder we're chucking into the water and for six years running for the flourish market our boulder has been in-store parties i'm gonna explain this i'm gonna tell you how it can apply to your business okay no matter what your business is when you're listening so i started as a fashion truck the like two weeks prior to me launching and i had this whole strategy i'd pull up in front of wells fargo and bank of america and do all these things Two weeks prior to me launching, as I'm like getting all the clothes steamed, our city of Raleigh makes an announcement that uh, food trucks and fashion trucks could no longer, and we were the only fashion trucks, so they were definitely talking to me, could no longer be on public streets unless you were a a paid part of an already established event, which made sense, right? We weren't paying rent. um, And at the time, fashion trucks were new, food trucks were newer-ish, and restaurants and boutique owners across America were complaining, hey, I pay rent. This person could technically just pull up in front of my store and make money without paying anyone anything. That's not fair. And I say to them, touche, you are correct. So I had to completely change my strategy. So here you had this woman who was, uh, you know, I flew my friends all over the world on these fancy vacations. And I laid on the floor of my house crying. By the way, it's not the only time I've literally laid on my floor crying and spiraled and just thought the world is over, you know, mm-hmm. you, know you ladies know. I just wanted to put it out there. If you've ever cried on your floor, I have too and wallowed. Oh, honey, myself. please. Yes. Just like that ugly wallowed. cry too. Yes. You yes. Lick your face. Get off my face. You don't. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So that's where I was. Then I got my ass up off the floor and I said, All right. Yep. Well, my pride's too high and we're going to make this work and I got some shit to sell. So I humbly started texting friends. I wrote down a list. I get chills every time I tell this. I wrote down a list of 30 names and I thought, well, 30 women in the next 30 days. If I can get 30 women to commit a yes to me to hosting my truck in their driveway or on their street, which is where it's allowed, and I get them to do the marketing and invite their friends kind of like a house party, home show. People were like, is this an MLM? Like, what's happening here? Um, but I let them know what had happened. I say, I, I really need you. Asking for help is hard still to this day as a business owner, even though I know people love it. They love me asking for yeah. their input. It was such an awkward ask. I reached out to my friend yeah. Molly. She was my first yes. Mm. And every single one of the 30 women on my list gave me a yes. Not once. Won't he do it? Yes. Right? Yes. Won't he do it? Yes. And so that's what I did. That's how I started my business was letting the women, I would Mm. easy button the invite. I made it easy for them. I wrote up the invite. They could text or email their friends. And at first it was weird because people were like, 
this seems weird. But then as I started sharing on social media, we got a couple of news clips, not big ones, it's Raleigh, um, but just like local ones for showing us for like 10 seconds on the news. People are like, oh, local okay. is some of the best some of the best coverage I've ever gotten is local news. It's so it's local because they're actually engaged. They they're do, actually they engaged. They do. Yeah, they and care. We had less than 100 Instagram followers, by the way, when I launched. Like, I didn't. I know I said mm. I had a blog earlier. I was no influencer. Let me tell you that. Um, but I was an influencer. <laughs> we all are. We all are, and we need to hold ourselves as such, and we need to pitch these ideas and our products in a way that the women we're talking to are influencers as well. Because I've never actually paid an influencer in my business to do anything, a quote influencer. Mm -hmm. I've relied on everyday women to do that legwork for me because I've made an ask and I've easy buttoned it for them, right? So that's mm -hmm. how I built my business. And to this day, you can go to our website, yep. theflourishmarket.com on the homepage, in the link, everything, in every email, every Friday. We are asking people to host a party. They're free. So now we do them in store, obviously. Mm. They're free and we donate 10% of sales to the host's favorite charity or we give it to her mm. in a gift card. So a lot of people do this for their birthday or they'll like get all their friends to come holiday shop and then they get the 10% gift card and they can do all their holiday shopping for free. We In the summer months, mm. we do free raspberry mimosas. When it's cold out, we do spiked cider. We serve their socks. Yep. We have stylists ready. We make it fun. We have fun playlists. And let me tell you, we got shut down for doing those for like a year during the pandemic. Okay. So we had to get really creative yeah. and we did over 90, we did 91 porch pop-ups because I was like, this is over 50% of our sales. So we went to people, everyone wore masks. We'd set up in their front yards because this is where it will translate to anyone listening. Shut out what everyone is telling you to do and see what is bringing in money for you. What is getting you, yes. what is getting you traction? And how can you do more of that? We are not on mm. Pinterest. I have had a Pinterest training for years that we've never dove into. And that doesn't feel like mm. a burden or something that I should have checked off by now. No, we have smartly made decisions to focus on what matters right now. And what has mattered mm. is during the pandemic, how do we translate our in-store prices over 50% of our sales, right? These women are doing that. Because for us... Mm. I can't compete with Amazon. I can't compete with these Chinese apparel companies who run ads yep. to my customers all day. I can't compete on that. And guess what? My customers are all buying things from there. Okay. So how mm. can I compete is to offer that bigger experience, that customer service experience and help women step into their bigger purpose. Right. And have yes. them come into co-author co our business. That's the only thing I can compete on. Right. As a local business, yes. you can also do that online. Um, so and it's white glove. It's white glove. Totally. That's huge. The interesting thing here is going back to your original point around you're being told to do SEO, do all this other stuff. No one gives you context for why they did that. No one gives you context for who is funding that. That's right. Because someone can tell you to go put up some damn ads, but where are you getting that goddamn ad money? Because right. the last time I checked, Pay to play is more expensive than ever before. And if you are in yes. retail, my last two companies were e-commerce. You are in retail. Q4 is one of the worst times to put ad dollars out there yes. because I, Amazon, Nordstrom, all of these big players, Macy's, will eat your ass alive right. on ad spend and because they know the they're like- They can. You can't you get can't. the discounts. You, you can't just can't. And so you cannot be behind, only use that as a strategy. And we've seen founders- who that worked for them initially, and this is how they get you. This is the get you, is they will get you in the funnel. You'll start seeing the sales come in. That becomes the founder's only strategy. And going back to your point, will that thing work for me? I focus there, but you don't own that channel. Nope. And that's a slippery slope. So my question to you, because I'm thinking through what are what are our or what are our listeners going to be or asking, mm -hmm. right? Well, Emily, that's great and dandy, but a it's COVID. How do we do this, you know, thing in person? And what if my company doesn't have a, you know, a physical product, right? Um, the other thing is that, well, that can be expensive. We don't have the money for a truck. We don't have the money to get these stylists and get the hors d'oeuvres and all of these things. What would be your response to them? Yes. Love the feedback. What I would say, no matter what you're doing, this the main key principle to take away here is to actually take time to step back look at your numbers, see where they're coming from, and to see what has worked for you to move the needle of your bottom line. 
and then do more of that. So for us, it's in-store parties or these pop-ups, right? For other boutiques, they go live on Facebook every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and that's what works for them for sales. It's going to be different for every business, even within the same industry, even with the same product, okay? So I would look at that. And if you are like, it's kind of across the board. Well, pick a focus, okay? Pick a focus, like go with your gut. If all of your numbers are kind of straight across the board, think about how much more you can move the needle if you just focused on that one channel, that one boulder, like what you can move forward and really throw focus there. Because I think what's happening in a lot of businesses is we're hearing we have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, like 10 things. We're doing 10 things simultaneously and we cannot get traction. We can't. If I even try to right. do five things at one time, I wouldn't have traction. So, I mean, here just to give you a very tangible example, um, the last two weeks, my business manager ended up having her beautiful baby girl, Gay Carrie Grace. That I had to drop a lot of things that would have been great for our bottom line because we were not getting traction on our holiday parties like we normally have in years past. There's the Delta variant. There's the things we need to talk about. Um, you know, safety and all of that. People wear masks in our in-store parties. But because these other things I had booked could move the needle on our bottom line, but what we were not getting traction on that I knew does move the needle on our bottom line, I had to drop some of these meetings and these things I was set to do. And I got on the phone with people and I texted people and I emailed direct asks. Okay. Because I was seeing this isn't trending and tracking where I need it to be. And I need something sure. And so I had to drop things that, yeah, probably would have brought me in money, but I had to throw focus where I, on efforts that I knew would bring me. But those are small pulses of getting in money. And it's so funny you're mentioning drop, you know, you got to drop it because right after you were interviewing Tiffany Dufu from the crew and she wrote a book called Drop the Ball. She's like, women, we need to give ourselves permission to drop the ball. You can't do all these things well. I literally have had an indefinite, Everybody in our tribe knows they're probably laughing, but I have had an indefinite out of office or just like response to every email for the last few months, just saying it's going to take me a little time because we have been rolling out new um, channels that we can better serve our, our tribe, but also onboarding new team members. And I'm just like, my, my emails are not a priority. I don't really like if, right. if it's a fire, you got my number, right? Otherwise it's usually someone else's problem, right? And then I give links to whoever else on my team can handle it. So yeah. I absolutely love that feedback and I love how real you are about it. And so another thing, which I, I, I love actually is a good segue into this. You mentioned a little bit already around how you manage your time and looking into optimizing for the best outcome on channels that work best. And it's not even just your time, your team. And how do you shift towards channels and the areas of the business that really need nurturing? Because when we get founders that come to us, that initial moment is overwhelm. They feel yeah. stuck. They're usually overwhelmed. They're just like, there's all these things. And usually when we start pouring into them, we're like, get all this shit out of the way. Just stop. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Do that thing. And they're just like, oh. but it's hard when you're in it, when you're in it. So can you walk us through how are you managing your time and your team's time in order to optimize for the best ROI for the business? Love this question. I'm such a nerd. Also, shout out to anyone who feels like, and it, they feel like this because they are running on the hamster wheel like so fast and feeling like you're not getting anywhere. That is so many people's stories, especially as we move into Q4. So I just feel that so deeply with you because that was me, especially when I first started my business um, before I hired my first intern and then my second intern and moved them over to employees. So a lot of folks listening, maybe you probably are like a solopreneur. Or maybe you've got like a few part-time people working for you. But this should be helpful um, to no matter where you find yourself in business or solopreneur or a team. So I've got a team of 16 now. Obviously, I started as just me. Okay. What I do <laughs> to really make sure I'm utilizing my time in the best possible way, and I also have my team members do this, is every quarter we all track what we're doing for at least three business days every 15 minutes. So an alarm goes off every 15 minutes. If I'm in like a two-hour meeting, I don't set off the alarm, but I track that, okay? So it's like start time, 8 a.m., end time, 8, 15 a.m. What was I doing? Okay, was I in my inbox? Was I in, what was I doing? Okay, and then at the end of the day, really at the end of those three days, 
there's a there's a column next to the it was like start time end time task there's a fourth column that says hourly rate and i write down was this a $10 an hour task a $100 an hour task a 1000 or $10,000 an hour task and what that means is if you put in an hour of your time doing that task for example customer service emails what is your return on investment over the next 12 months okay so Customer service, not a lot. Has to be done, though. Okay, so that's when we start looking at, well, maybe we should get an intern. Maybe we can afford to pay someone $15 an hour to be in the inbox for 30 minutes every morning, okay? we start what, What's your time on that? Yes. If you're doing that $10 task, what did – and I highly encourage all of you to go back and listen to Kara – um, when we did the interview with her, she talks about your $10,000 hour. Yeah. She's like, every time I do a $10 task, I am now deducting that from my 10000 There is now $9,999 that I just literally left on the table. It's so true. I, I have to like follow Kara. She sounds like my girl. I love that she yes. had a whole, I'm going to go back and listen to that episode like this weekend. I'm, but I'm, you have to be so intentional with your time because I know mm -hmm. for so many of you, if you have a product, you're like, well, damn, I've already missed the Oprah's favorite things list. I've missed all these listicles for the holidays. Those were due back in June and July. Oh, I missed reaching out mm -hmm. to press about this big update. I know you've been back burnering the things because here's the thing in psychology, like, right? These, we just pull in the low hanging fruit because we feel like that feels nice, right? And that that's traction to check yeah. off some boxes. And these things we've been backburning require a lot of brain power. They require vulnerability. Mm. They they require kahunes, okay? So like we backburner that because these things are easier. And a lot of us just need more rest, mm. right? Because we're too burnt out to do the yep. strategic work. But you cannot do this work without putting out this work. So two kind of tips here I teach people because if you're a solopreneur, you're like, well, I don't even pay myself. I cannot afford to pay someone else. Okay, well, here's where I tell you to start. Can you in your workday carve out at least the first hour of your day to do a $10,000 an hour task? Okay, these high things are going to be your high return on your investment, something strategic. You know what those are. Before you dive into your Instagram message or posting or your inbox, when you do that, you let other people set your priorities, okay? That fire can wait another hour. And in fact, the true fire in your business is you not spending your time on a thousand or ten thousand dollar an hour work for sure, okay? That's tip number one. Tip number two, at some point, and for many of you right now, you are ready to make that first hire, that fifth hire, that sixth hire. The reason I do this with my team is to see, okay, well, I'm paying this person more. I want to, you know, promote her, pay her more, what what things need, what tasks need to get shifted down. So for you, if you're making your first hire, what are those $10 an hour tasks, right? It takes like a week or two to teach someone how to do that. Maybe they won't do it as bet as as well as you and you'll have to step in. I always give the example, a 16-year-old, when we had a million dollar business, that third year when we hit a million dollars in sales for the first time, she was running our back-end operations. Well, her first week, she made a really big error in shipping, she put, funny about decimal points, she put the weight wrong and it cost us like over $200, right? Um, she shipped out 30 packages with an incorrect weight so they all got returned to us. Okay, now I have 30 pissed customers and we lost like 200 something bucks. But do you know what I was able to do in those like 20 hours I got back? I sure as hell made more than $200 for my business, all right? So it's like not even a chicken or egg. It's like, and I guarantee you, she ain't never going to do that again. And she's going to be on it. <laughs> she was on it. She, she will be every it. little thing. She will be on it. Yes. But I'm like so big on interns. We have a lot of high schoolers and college students that work for us and they are so hungry. I always look for hungry and humble people to hire. And if you look at our website right now, a million dollar business, college students do everything on our website. They put all the products online. They, just, they do everything. I don't even, I don't even know how they do it anymore. I don't even know the process. Yeah. Okay. So really, I like to push back with people and like how it, when people are like, I can't hire, I just, I've got to still do these things. I look at them and say, how is that working out for you? Because something's got to change. So I hope by like tracking your time, even if you do it like 30 minutes that. or an hour, really write out your tasks because we actually aren't spending our time in the way we think we are. Mm -hmm. I'm not either. And I've been doing this for so many years, every quarter. Sometimes I do it every Same. month. But we so measure mm -hmm. things coming in our business like sales. I don't know. You guys love reports. We look in there. 
but we like never yep. measure what's going out of our business, our time investment, right? So mm. we got to start looking at yep. time, not like just spending it, but how are we investing it in a way that it like grows our bottom line? I love it. And especially for founders, because same thing, um, I initially had a really hard time delegating and we see that a lot with women because we're naturally nurturers. We're naturally, I mean, we're socialized to it. We handle all these things. We handle the people stuff. Oh, I got it. Men will be like, okay, bye. My, my boyfriend will literally be like, I need to get this thing done. He'd be like, babe, who can I get to do it? And I'm just like, I'm going to learn more from you. <laughs> right. So I, I love this because then when you track your own time for especially solopreneurs, you're tracking your own time that way, which I think is so genius that you shared this. You can now see areas in your business you can't outsource, yeah. delegate out, especially if it's like creating lists, all these things that a Fiverr and Upwork, you can get for the low, low. Like, And when you quantify it that way, I like what you said, putting a number to the your hourly and when you look at that in conjunction to I just spent time creating that graphic that I could have had a probably so a college person that's much better with social media than I am do that. And it would have been better. (laughs) So I love this. My question to you now, and and I always love asking this question is what has been one of your biggest failures Mm -hmm. that has now become one of your greatest lessons as an entrepreneur. And we love asking this because everyone's like, damn, I have so many, but Mm -hmm. what's the the main one that you're like, that has shaped me to be who I am now. My biggest failure actually had to do with my personal life, which obviously as any entrepreneur has a big way weighing on your business life. And that was telling myself that I was stuck when I was not. So a big part of my story is divorce. It's one of abuse. And so the way I turned that into um, a good story is actually pursuing therapy, doing deep, deep work, which I know so many people are so scared about. But because of doing it now like six, seven years in deep therapy, actually more than that, but with a new therapist, um, it was terrifying to do that internal work. But now as a businesswoman, like when the pandemic hit, I was ready. I was rooted. I was not scared. I was ready to lead because I knew my power and I was no longer being gaslighted by the world um, or anyone in my life of what I was capable of and what I was here to do. So I'm a big fan. Mm. I cannot do any interview without mentioning mental health. Obviously, I'm very privileged to even be able to afford that. Um, I always tell people like search around. There's so many, especially in this last year, there's so much funding for people to get access to mental health. But, But doing mental health work has been by far the most powerful thing I've ever done for my business the most powerful thing I've ever done for my business. Cause I I'm so grateful now. you shared that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because all I think, especially after this last year, it has just amplified what was already there. And a lot of people, including myself, mm-hmm. um, because I would say even, even when you're doing quote unquote, well, right? Mm-hmm. I think we will conflate that and say like, people could look at you on the outside and say, oh, you're doing well. You have this business. Da, 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 da. I remember in my last company, that was definitely the case where people were like, oh my God, you're killing it. Right. And what they didn't realize under the surface was how much I had made what I did a part of who I was. So I was, my company was working me like it was insane. And I was never enough because everything, little thing that happened, that became a reflection of me, which was so detrimental. And thank God for therapy um, has been a huge part of dismantling that and how yes. I run this company. So thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, it's, it's so important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of our biggest things that gets shit done is really around our motto, fuck 4%. That's sure, you know. Um, and we don't say that to be cute or cheeky or whatever. Yep. Um, because we want people to focus on what matters around women entrepreneurship. We love talking about funding, mm-hmm. but 
the biggest issue is that we make up nearly half of entrepreneurs and our companies bring in 4% of total business revenues. A lot of that, going back to what you said, is we're being pulled in so many directions. Do this, do that. And then we can never do one thing very well. And then the, the system then tells you, well, if you only had this thing, which again makes you reliant on things outside of yourself, you can only be successful if you get that check, right? And then it goes back to, I can only do this if these external factors happen for me. So you have been able to give 4% the middle finger. You have been able to scale your company very intentionally. You can hear it in your voice. So what are you doing now in the business to level up revenues to the next level? Yeah. I love this question. And yeah, F the patriarchy and the systems around us that gaslight us from stepping out in our power. Gaslight the hell out of us, especially the funding narrative, especially as a founder who has been funded is the one that I'm just like, this is the biggest fucking gaslight. And then you see all these people going down the same and there's nothing wrong with getting funded. Mm-mm. Is everyone says, I, I have to go that path to be successful. And then I see so many people feel so destroyed because they it didn't work out for them or it's not working yet because their business isn't working yet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I found myself in a unique predicament and maybe this is for some of the listeners here, but I said earlier, like I didn't want to scale to a, a million stores. I didn't even want a second one. I look at what my grandpa did. He was so present in the community as an entrepreneur. And I just thought that's who I want to be. But I am like fuck 4%. No. And I also know with my acumen and my experience, like when I look at like what's in my hand, I want to steward it well. And at the end of the day, money is power and economic power. Like I want a lot of it because I know I can steward it well when others are not. And so I had this like, oh, this tension again, right? That I felt in corporate now, like a, like a year or two ago of like, okay, well, I know I'm not called and meant to have like lots of stores. So how do I scale my income and my impact in this world. And that came from this like anger after I got clear from a lot of things in my life and kind of like saw systems of oppression. I was like, "Uh uh-uh. And I'm not playing small here because I'm not called to play small, but I had to figure out like, okay, what is scalable? And so I would say like, don't be afraid of um, your next step and letting people like kind of like now people like basically I have someone who basically like runs the flourish market. Um, and what I'm doing now is I started a little over a year ago, a program called The Wholesale Way. And it is a monthly membership program. It's $37 a month. It's super accessible where I now work with makers and brand owners all over the world and help them land their products onto retailer shelves. So every month they get a training. They get a live Q&A with me and every quarter my therapist comes in and does like a mental health resiliency check. So we have people from Malawi and Europe and Kenya, all over America, Canada, Hawaii as members. And to get in, like you can't be a big dog, okay? You've got to be like a maker and independent brand owner. And the way I do my free workshops for when it's like I I rarely open the doors, but I do free workshops. The way I talk is you're going to drop off if you don't fit in, (laughs) because I'm very clear in my values and the values of the program. And so what ends up happening is the coolest people, mostly women, like come into the program and are just like the world's best kept secret as far as their products and their brand stories and people are killing it. And so that is the way I'm able to not only scale my income, but really scale my impact is growing that. So that's my personal boulder for next year. All right. So I've opened up and I was like, I'm going to test this for a year to make sure like I really like walking with people like long term. I've loved it. So again, I'm holding I'm most I'm off in on the flourish market through the holiday season because in November and December we will make half of our sales for the whole year. Okay, but January, I'll rest a couple of weeks in January and February. That's when I'll really start moving this boulder forward to reopening my program. And I'd love to see it grow to 1,000, 2,000 or more makers and brand owners. I'm super excited about that because there's things I know from a retailer's perspective, right? And from a marketing perspective, from someone who's really obsessed with how people spend their time. And I'm very connected with a network of very, very smart leaders like you, Alex. We were talking about teaming up for something, Um, but getting Mm -hmm. the right voices in front of these folks so they see women who look like them right? And have done Mm -hmm. the things that they want to do, right? And it's, then I give like the very tangible tips 
Um, so it's a very specific mm. group of people I work with. So if you are that person, I know most people aren't listening, but if you know someone who is a maker or an independent brand owner, for most of the people that join the program, they've never gotten into one store. They might have one account, but that's it. Please send them to the wholesaleway.com backslash. I put together a link for you backslash GDP or G. GSD. <laughs> the, the well, we I'm are increasing the GDP, so yes, that makes right. sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's got like some resources there because I am just obviously this would be an ideal vote. Like anyone listening to this podcast is who the types of people I would love to, to work with. But for anyone who's like, I don't want to scale my current business, like I'm happy where it is. Don't be afraid of that next step mm -hmm. in your leadership of how you can help um, help come behind others and help lift them up. Thank you so much for listening to Get Shit Done. We hope you got the traction tips you need to grow your company on your own terms. If you wanna learn more traction tips like these from Badass Women Entrepreneurs Weekly, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, queen, show us some love by rating and reviewing this podcast. This really helps us reach and serve more women like you in slaying their way to traction. And if you're looking for more support on your scaling journey, head on over to shegetsshitdone.com slash join, where you'll become a part of the movement of women entrepreneurs giving 4% the middle finger. Until next time, queen, I'm Alex Batdorf reminding you, you got this. Now go out there and get shit done.